welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of For the Record. And today we are going to Chiefs Country, to Kansas City, to talk with one of the, as we call them, the original gangsters of aesthetics. She's been in this industry for more than 20 years. We were just laughing that she predates Botox. Uh, Georgia Cerise is a board member of iSpan. She is an RN. She's CAN certified. I think the original pilot class of CAN, she was part of that. She has a gorgeous med spa in Kansas City right off the Country Club Plaza and is doing things a little different there and a unique flair, if you will, with her daughter. So they're in business together, which I think is so noble Um, and just has a really impressive background. She trains all the time. She's part of, again, the original brain trust of our industry, doing some really cool things and an entrepreneur for, I think, now four years. So she's got some great lessons to teach us today about owning a business, what's happening in the industry, how to become a great, successful injector that has sustainability and long-term success and all the things in her big old brain. So Georgia, welcome to our show. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored to be on the show. And um, yeah, I've watched you grow with your career as well. So that's been kind of fun. Um, The really fun thing about aesthetics is it continues to grow and expand and very rapidly nowadays. So like you said, with over 20 years experience, I've really seen an evolution in aesthetics and um, it's kind of interesting. I started back in 1999 with Dr. Jerry Lamb, who was at the time the only plastic surgeon to open up his own surgery center and med spa back when we didn't even know what a med spa was. So that that's kind of interesting in that fact. Um, but as he was doing facelifts and he did a lot of surgical procedures, I would always get our patients on skincare and vitamin C and retinols. And when they came back, you know, a month later, their facelifts looked better because their skin was better. So I took a passion for skincare right off the bat. And um, the med spot at that time just had a microdermabrasion and we did like some chemical peels and dermaplanes. So that that really began my med spa background, working with the plastic surgeon, who some of you might know, Dr. Lamb, he actually co-authored a book with uh, Dr. Chris Surick, Anatomy for the Injector. So um, I love that, you know, Dr. Lamb had been around a long time and he valued having me as as his nurse and as his first nurse injector. Yeah, and I think you probably paved the way. I mean, my goodness. I mean, you did predate Botox, right? It came out, I think, in what, 2002 or 2005? So doing all this prior to that happening was like, I mean, it's miraculous that we've come in such a short amount. I mean, think about that. It's not been that long. We've come a long way. But as you think about your time in the OR doing facelifts and things, Looking back on that, how much time did you spend with him in surgery? And did that change your perspective on safety and how you look at the face and just, you know, more of the surgeon's eye as you as you think about that? Yeah, it definitely helped develop my artistic eye and the surgical eye, but it also taught me aseptic technique, how important that that was. And especially as we got into dermal fillers and back then we had Cosmoplast, but 
Um, one of the things I thought is how can we prevent doing a facelift in our 40s or 50s? How can we prolong that? Because what happens is patients getting a facelift at 40 or 50 eventually needed another one. And so my mission was what can we do to not have to do that yet? And I used to say ever, but now that I'm in my middle 60s, I say prevent it until we have to do it. But the aseptic technique has been really instrumental when I'm out teaching. I'm amazed at people that don't understand aseptic technique and pre-surgical cleansing on dermal fillers. So that was a real eye-opener. Um, Dr. Lamb taught me an artistic eye, lights and shadows, colors, positioning. And so working hand in hand with a plastic surgeon gave me kind of, I would say, an advantage when fillers really started to come out. In 99, we were experimenting with Botox. 2000, when it got the approval in 2002, we just had Botox days. We lined them up. And, you know, back then you had one day you did Botox all eight hours. You just packed them in. So, um, I prepared it, pulled it all up for him, just lined it up on the tray. And um, the first experience I had with my own treatment of Botox, I like cried like a baby. It hurt. I had a black eye. It didn't feel good. And in my mind, I'm like, well, hmm, I'm a nurse. I think I could do this better, softer, friendlier. And so from there, I just kind of pioneered my own technique. Well, you know, I think about, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think it's funny thinking about you being a nurse and being softer, more gentle. That's for sure true. But you said the facelift at 60, you know, mid-60s. By the way, you look phenomenal. All of you in that same group all look like you're a day over, I don't know, 48, I mean, 50. It's crazy. You, you look phenomenal. I'm close to 45. Like, I'm 40 this year. I think about in five years from now, because there's a few surgeons who say at 45, you have to get your first facelift. I don't look that old, hopefully. I mean, maybe I do, but I think about five years from now, it's not going to all fall down. I mean, I, I'm doing maintenance every single, you know, every visit. I'm doing my toxin, my filler, my sculpture, my, you know, all the things. Like, it can't just fall off the side of the cliff in five years. I mean, maybe it can, but I think what you're saying is true, that we've prolonged it so much longer now, which I guess probably hurts the surgeons, but we can certainly get one at 65, whatever it is. But you guys are working magic. I mean, I hate to say that's not FDA approved, but in a sense, you're working a bit of magic compared to what people were doing like in the 80s and the 90s when they had no choice. And it was like, you got facelifts and you got facelifts. And so I just think it was such a cool, um, an era of change and see how we as women age gracefully now with the help of products. But to that aspect, you mentioned Botox. I think about all the time. We started with the glabella, right? We started with our 11s. Now we're doing, you know, pores. We're doing DAOs. We're doing, we're putting Botox everywhere. It's one of those things that we realize how the muscle works. And it's like, okay, we can put it everywhere. If, if there's a muscle, we can look at the muscle, we can do the thing. How much of that mindset early on were you guys like just pioneering and blazing trails and just saying, you know, we're going to try it and see what happens? Because I feel like now people will do kind of anything. But back in the day, was it equally as um, wild, wild west, to say it politely? For some of the injectors, it was. But for most of us, we would collaborate with each other okay well I've tried a little bit of Botox like in the lateral brow and I've been able to raise that brow and open up the eyelid and so we shared with each other our experiences um, we relied on each other one of the first courses I took to go off-label injections was Jill Jones's course aesthetic advancements 
And that is a company I still teach and train for because it changed the way I injected. Here was a couple other nurses, Jill and Don Sagrilla, who like me had worked in the plastic surgery field and were branching into the cosmetic injections. And they actually developed a course. And it was just like that aha moment went off. And I was like, oh my gosh, we can use it in all these areas. And have you tried it here? And how are you doing the frontalis or the forehead? Because we had only glabella indication for many years and everywhere else we were using it, you know, off label. You just had some names there that I love. I think about my my gain time with Dawn and Jill, such great people. And again, like the people who started our industry and really, and you think about it, if it's in your hands, it's, it was in good hands, right? I mean, I think about all things we've done probably because of those of you who started it were such, you know, diligent, good, safe injectors. And so now here we are, but AI, an amazing group, like you guys are doing incredible work training all across the country. You're training for Allergan as well. You're also on podiums. You're doing I-SPAN. I mentioned you're a board member this year. Congratulations on your board appointment. You spoke at AMSPA. You went to the women's clinic or women's conference uh, that they had just recently with the Spanx founder. I mean, you're kind of everywhere. So thinking even about that part of the industry back then when you were the physician extender, you know, that's what they used to call you guys, you would never have done podiums, right? That would have never even been in your mind. Now you're like leading trainings. You're on podium. You're speaking at conferences. You're, you're the main, you know, the main attraction. How has that part changed for you guys? I feel like that's such a cool evolution to watch. Well, and I think for me, the biggest part of that is just having the opportunity, the opportunity to also educate and teach and lead this next generation of aesthetic injectors, because the injections are here to stay. This is something that's only going to continue. And to think we came from one Botox and, you know, I started in the collagen days. So to think that we only had one filler and one Botox, and now we have five neuromodulators and 25 dermal fillers and biostimulators, um, we've come a long, long way. And so part of it is, I feel like my obligation to teach and speak and share some knowledge and and what we've learned along the way um because in a, in a way we kind of slayed the jungle we figured out the paths and so it's our duty also to this industry to keep it professional and and share that education and that knowledge that took us years to gain and um I'm not a researcher. I don't do a lot of studies or publish or anything. I'm a better speaker and trainer and training is my passion. And so I feel like it's it's just our duty to pass this legacy on to the next generation. Yeah, and to shorten their learning curve. I mean, goodness, I think about how long it, it you know, if even five years ago, I started in the industry in 2014. I think about a new injector at that moment to get to where we are today. I mean, it took a long time. There weren't great classes. There, was, there wasn't a Patreon. There weren't all these classes all across the country with great injectors teaching. It was like, go to Vegas for the weekend, bring your mom as your model, and you might get to inject, you may not, depending on how much time they have. And when you come back, you're going to be, quote unquote, certified and good luck. And it was just like the scariest thing ever. And people didn't know better because we didn't have better, right? When you know, when you know better, you got to do better. So I just feel like now it's such a, um, an interesting time that we have all this great stuff, but also a lot of bad stuff. I think as you're out training, do you see a dichotomy, if you will, or a paradox of really great trainings and also those who you wish maybe would close their business and not be out training and teaching? And as a trainer, how do you combat that? How do you help 
to right the right the wrongs of those who may have trained before you and maybe not done things quite so good because I feel like that's a challenge that a lot of trainers are facing now it's like how do I not call the baby ugly but also say gosh that may have worked for that trainer but we're going to do it this way here instead well, and I think a lot of that too is just because when I learned the basics of training and we learned to teach anatomy and we learned to teach technique, right now you've got a bunch of um, younger generations that are trying to label or term or give their technique a name and trademark it or or this is the way, you know, if you want to learn this technique, but there's not a lot of science behind that. And um, I'm more of a science nerd. And when I see somebody who has been injecting two years and opens a training company, I'm like, really, you haven't even been injecting long enough to know the good, the bad, the right, the wrong, adverse events, um, understanding the rheology of the products and what you use. There's so much more to it than a basic, you know, here, put, you know, five units here, five units there. When Dr. Lamb and I started with Botox, he would reconstitute it with four cc's and he'd go put a squirt here and a squirt here and it you know it was 1.8 cc's and you just squirted it there well we had everything it was all over the place and so when when we came up and developed a formula I was like well this is great this works better it doesn't migrate it doesn't and so I think these new training classes have a lot of social media popularity because you want to train with someone uh, because of who they are, even though they may have only been injecting two years, three years, four years. I feel like it takes a good five years of injecting every day before you really understand all of it. And, um, you know, it's it's that part of the industry is, is kind of getting hard. There's no regulation um, for credentialing these people. But the courses that offer CMEs usually are the ones where you're going to get a qualified trainer that's going to be teaching it properly. So you just spoke my language, sister. I always say if it's not CME eligible, is it really a course that you should take? I mean, it's it's fun to go hang out with your friend and do a shadow day or hang out with her and see how she runs her business or look at her technique and, you know, collaborate. But that's not really a training. Not, not that you would say it wasn't worthwhile because it may very well be, but it's not a, a true like a certifiable medical um, credit experience, if you want to call it that. Like I, I completely agree with that. It needs an agenda, learning objectives, learning outcomes, you know, assessments at the end of it. Like there's just a part of it. I think ISPAN has done a great job with, with the, the CAN certification to like really, again, nail that home if it has to have some kind of a rigor to it. It has to have some kind of a qualification to it. We can't just hand it out like candy and say, you get a cans and you get a cans. I think education is the same way. It's got to be a similar standard, if you will, when we come to, you know, when it comes to training. But no one's doing it. As you mentioned, no one is regulating it. It is kind of a free-for-all. And I often found when I was doing the Galderma thing, the gain thing, they'd want some big name to come in. I'm like, but this other person is such a better teacher and injector. But it didn't matter because the other person had social following. It's like, I know, but don't you want to learn? It's like, no, I want to get my Instagram pictures done. And it would make me insane because I am a, such a nerd as well. Like, no, getting better is the goal, not getting on Instagram, but we're still trying to slay that dragon even now, as you as you will see, I'm sure, all over Instagram. But it is, to me, it's a very dangerous place to be where you're two years in and you start your own training program and say that you know what you're doing. It just, it's hard to believe that that could be the case, but I, I, I'm being the minority. 
And it is happening, you know, and I say the, the Instagram famous, those are the ones that are chasing that, you know, and, and I do social media. I'm a nerd. My daughter won't even let me touch our social media business page because I just put stuff out there because I don't really care. But um, I do because I have patients that that are true followers. They're just following because what's new, or I've been at a conference or I've been speaking. Um, and, and that to me is what social media should be about. You know, I think um, I heard Professor Cordofano make a statement about social media and how did we let this govern aesthetic medicine? How, how did this happen? And I think part of it started with COVID because we couldn't be at conferences. We couldn't be, you know, teaching each other in office and, and social media became our tool. It became our tool to educate and teach um, and not being in person. And I think it's kind of gone the opposite way because you could have a really good social media page and a website and have a lot of smoke and mirrors. And yet, um, not really know what you're doing or produce good outcomes. And so in our clinic, about two and a half years ago, we had to add a complication consultation. So we offer now consultations on complications. And um, it's really sad because, you know, people aren't getting the good outcomes. And so that is the part that drives me probably bonkers the most because I'm a passionate person. And I'm like, well, you know, did you check the people out? Oh, yeah, they had a great Instagram page. Mm, okay. You know, so and I bite my tongue and I try to remain very professional. And, um, you know, we can help most of them if they can produce documentation of where they went, who did it, what product. Um, but also, I kind of was an investigator in a case here in Kansas City. I had some patients surface that had some really bad outcomes with um, lip filler that was two and three months down the road, and there were bumps and nodules, and they couldn't tell me what they had, but they told me where they got it. And I started doing my own investigation because I had four cases. And then when I got a, a call from a doctor here in Kansas City, a colleague friend of mine that said, hey, have you seen any of these cases coming from this place? So we kind of put it all together and it ended up being a tattoo artist who was illegally importing filler and neuromodulators and injecting these patients, which eventually he he got, it took about a year and a half, but he did get caught. He got charged and and you know he'll be going to prison for it but um then they called and asked me to be an expert witness and I'm like I know exactly who this is so that's the kind of stuff that's going to be happening until we get regulations and that's one of my biggest missions with being active and on the board with ISPAN is keeping the professionalism in aesthetic medicine and um just trying to get some try type of association it's a state by state thing so it will re require state by state regulation and there are several of my colleagues across the country that have started those associations to gain power um and that's another whole mission of mine well and so for ispan this has been like a hot topic lately are they 
are you, not they, you, you are they, they are you. Are you guys looking at expanding this beyond just the nurses in a core specialty to now look at PAs, also those? Because I feel like what you guys have built there is so phenomenal and such a, it pushes the professional part, you know, the mission forward, right? It is requiring a standard and a rigor. And I always wished, you know, as I was doing other things, that we could have PAs go take that or nurses who didn't have, because most of you have exposure to a, a, a Dr. Lamb, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing. You're already well-trained. It's like all the ones who aren't already in that, it's like going to church, right? Those who aren't in the room need to hear the sermon. It's like those who aren't part of Iceman already need to be the ones that are learning and, and growing from you guys. So I'm grateful to hear that. That's going to be, I think, a huge blessing. And I do agree with you. It's state-by-state state basis. But I feel like we should have somebody at the top saying these are the requirements and regulations. And at, at your state level, we can delegate that out based on what you, you know, what your licensure allows you to do. But someone somewhere saying this is what good looks like. And I think AMSPA tried it a few years ago. It was very controversial. It's hard to say what good looks like. I don't know why it is in this industry, but it's not like in cardiology or neurology. But it's very hard in aesthetics to say this is what we should be doing as far as a flow or, you know, a, um, regulations and such, rules and laws. But we can't all agree. When How do we agree? What's What's the big a secret to us all coming together and saying this is a regulation thing that we should be sticking to. Well, I mean, I think it'll be hard with standardizing procedures, number one, because of all the different techniques, but still there should be protocols to follow. You know, there should be at least some guidelines as to what safety is described as. What is the definition of a safe injection, aseptic technique, stuff like that post-care, you know, pre-treatments, make sure, you know, do your H&Ps on them. In many states, and I'm one of them in Missouri, where as a registered nurse, you know, it's not legal for me to do H&P on a patient while my clinic is full of nurse practitioners for that reason. And so we have to follow guidelines through the nurses organization, which ISPAN is, is you know, basically based on nurses. And so when we started ISPAN, it was because there were plastics and derms and, you know, core was where aesthetic injectables started with core practices. And then, you know, 10 years ago, non-core providers, you know, are the majority now. However, if there were standardized testing, like the CAN certification is actually approved and it's a certificate by the plastic surgical nurses. So it is a board certified certificate of training. And so how can you regulate? You could easily turn that into a state-by-state -state regulation to get board certified, whether, whether you're a nurse, a PA, a doctor, whatever. And I think there's going to have to be guidelines for that. And you're right. Um, AMSPA started it or tried to pilot that program and they stepped on people's toes. And so I think if we all pulled together to collaboratively put together guidelines and standardizations, it would benefit everyone, the practitioners, the patients, everybody. But that's a big feat. Yeah, that's a big ass. That may take us a few years to do that. But, you know, thinking through collaborating and you said core, there's always a big rift around core versus non-core and extender or specialist or, you know, even the PAs this year or last year went through a name change associate or, you know, it just, it's, a, it's always something, right? It's always something going on. But you have a unique perspective because you worked at both a derm, plast a derm practice and a plastics practice and now have a med spa. So I'm curious as a business owner now coming into a med spa, 
thing about collaboration, how that all marries or melts together to create what you've built now, because I think there's such distinct and different experiences between plastics and derms. And you've, you've had your toe in the water of all the best worlds of each thing. So give us an idea of how that all comes together and how you've kind of built out your practice. Because I think part of this is not only being safe injector in the moment, but also you have to run a business and be like ethical and legal and compliant with business, which no one talks about ever, right? Until you're like in the hot seat. So how have you kind of brought your experiences together to build this incredible aesthetic bar in Kansas City? Well, and I think a lot of it is just because I had been in this field so long, I knew legally what it would take. Um, part of my job when we opened up the um, surgical center for Dr. Lamb is I was the administrator. So I, I had administrative knowledge already built in. And so a lot of people that open med spas that don't have that don't understand but and not to toot am spas horn however they were very instrumental i mean they were very instrumental i met alex gosh when he attended his very first um aes the aesthetic extender symposium with christy lennox and i was like wow this guy's going to jump into this field of aesthetic medicine from the legal aspect. And so I met him early on and I'm very grateful because I really relied on that organization when we opened up our own place and Terry Ross too, um, just to know that I legally had all the representation, covered all the bases, um, have all the contracts in place. That That's a huge job in itself. And um, I'm fortunate I have my daughter who is the business savvy person that takes care of all the business end of it. But as we continue to grow, it's it gets harder because there's just more of it. And my passion is, you know, with my patients and with injecting and teaching. So, yeah, it's hard to be the business owner and also the injector and the face of the business to do PR. I mean, I think by Instagram, you know, to mention that again. You still have to do it. Like, even if you don't want to, you still got to do it. And you've got to be the face of the business and everything else. But working with your daughter. So I, I think I mentioned in our little our little brief that I sent you. We talked about husbands and wives here a lot, like working with your spouse being challenging. What about your daughter? Because I have a little boy here at work today. And I'm just thinking about even him being here. It's so distracting. And it's just different when you're a parent. It just feels different. And so how have you guys worked together and made that really a solid foundation to build your business? You know, and I'm not going to kid you, it's, it's a challenge. In the beginning, it was the hardest because how do you separate your mother-daughter relationship from administrator and nurse? And so that was a real challenge. And, and we jokingly came up with a, a couple of different um, at analogies and words. And she would say, you know, now, mom, stay in your lane you know, and I would say, okay, now you can call me Mrs. Cerise from now on. (laughs) And so we have a good sense of humor. And so we laugh about it. Um, And it's challenging because we try to keep, keep the little riffraff away from the staff because the staff is like, oh, it's mother, daughter. But we've done a pretty good job the last couple of years. We've learned a lot. We've learned a lot. And as we continue to grow and develop, um, we keep that professional side in the office too. So, but it's real fun to get to work with, you know, your, your daughter every day and see all the amazing things she's done great with the business side, the marketing, the social media. 
um, because that plays a big factor in growing and, and, you know, obtaining new patients and keeping your old ones. And so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I think it's it's so important right now because patients are really smart. You know, we hear on Instagram a lot, like, oh, they're so dumb. They don't know. Like, they know a lot. They know a whole lot. Back when you were doing your first Botox, they didn't know anything, right? They, it was brand new for everyone. None of us knew anything. But now they know. They've looked online. They've, you know, they're scared of death of complications. They've seen all the horror stories on Instagram with necrosis, whatever else. I think they're so well-informed. And so unless they know that you are like the OG, been around forever, that part is not so much a selling concept anymore because they are – you know, looking at the competition, looking at you, is it price shopping? Is it ambiance shopping? Is it membership shopping? Like, so many factors go into it now. And you're in a very high-end area, which, by the way, is one of my favorite areas in the whole country at the Country Club Plaza. I think that that has such a different mindset or mentality than if you're, like, in rural America somewhere where you're, like, you know, the average shopper is coming to see you. How does that affect what you do? Because you have now affluent clients. So you have to have an affluent-looking practice, affluent-looking marketing, affluent-looking experiences. How is it different for you than, say, somebody who's, like, you know, in Arkansas doing the same kind of thing that you're doing, maybe at the same skill level, but just in a whole different kind of practice? Well, and a lot of that is your mindset, too. And a lot of it is, like, we're in a very nice area of town, and we want them to have a great experience. And, you know, people are price shopping. They're very conscious of price and We've also tried to teach our patients to, and our injectors is they come here for us. They come here for our experience. And yes, you know, one of my top fillers, I'm the highest price in the market. And, and, and I don't care because they come here for the outcome. They come here for the experience and we have an amazing team and every team member plays such a big part and, and they know it and they value that. And so you know, you you think of being a luxury med spa because you can run into any shopping center now and there's there's a med spa and their prices are cheap. Well, people are also becoming savvy that, well, gosh, how could there be such a difference in price? Or, you know, we participate in all of the rewards programs that our um, vendors and partners have so that, you know, we can say that we'll help them save a little money, but they're there for for the experience. And so I hate to use the word luxury, but that's kind of how we've coined ourselves in, in this area. And I think you're what the number one or 1% in Missouri and like, I don't know, maybe top five or top 10 in the country. Like you're doing a lot of volume. And so it's not that you're so high priced. No one can come in. Like you're doing a tremendous amount of volume, but I think it's one of those things of who do you want in your chair? You know, I think if you look at those practices at our discount are very, very inexpensive. It's a factory model. They've got to keep the leaky bucket full all the time. It's a constant churn. It's like the grind where perhaps in your market, you can see a few less patients per day. You can do more per visit. You have a long-term retention. I think it's just a much different mentality of I want high volume, I want high margins, low volume, you know, as far as like my patient number versus having to see so many and do so much to make ends meet. I just, it's a different mindset, right? But I think part of that is also you pitching it to patients. So when you're talking to a patient doing your consultation, you mentioned the, um, one for complications. What does it sound like? like? What is the framework for you when a patient comes to the front door until they leave your practice? What is, you know, what does the, the gorgeous aesthetic bar experience feel like for somebody? Well, and, you know, I think it's really important to develop a relationship with your patients, too, because when they come in, 53% of all of our patients are word of mouth. Okay, that's over half. 
What does that tell you? Kansas City is a big city. It's a small town. We all know each other. And so they come in because they say, well, I didn't know my friend was doing this for years. She looks natural. She looks pretty. And so that's also kind of one of our trademarks here is to look so good that nobody notices or, you know, that it's not real detectable. And so I think, too, we develop a relationship with our patients. We do a comprehensive consultation. So I'm going to sit down, and you might come in for 20 units of Botox, but we're going to talk about your anatomy and your skin and your skin health. And, and you might just walk out that day with just your 20 units, but you're going to think about everything else that... Um, we talked about and some of that too is a little old-fashioned where we actually sit down and we build them a folder to take home of all of our services of all the recommendations of all the products and um, you know we plant seeds so I think that's unique in the aspect that people will come in and go oh you want 20 units of Botox okay here's your 20 units but by call if you need anything we do courtesy follow-ups for all patients. All new patients must be seen back, you know, at two weeks or three weeks for their follow-up. And then we book them back for their next appointment. Um, I think having that type of a relationship, you build trust. I have, we have great MAs that work with the nurse injectors. And if I'm asking, oh, where did your kids go to school? Oh, so did mine. My MA is putting a note in that chart already. So that next time they come in, I remember, or your daughter's getting married in June. Great, let's come up with your year plan. And so I think when you take that time in the beginning, and again, this kind of goes back to your point, Tiffany, about get them in, get them out. No, that's, that's not what it's about. If you're in this for the long haul, this is how... I think you should start by building that. Yeah, you said MAs. I know that your friend Leslie Fletcher, I think she came to your practice recently. Leslie gives a great talk on the benefit of an MA. And then we had Dana Zietler on the podcast this season who also really mirrored what she said and said, my gosh, it saved my, you know, it changed my business. The MA in the room being your extra set of ears and eyes and hands is just, to me, what an incredible investment because it allows you to do what you do because they can do all the things. It's like the duck in the water, right? You're on top of the water looking all calm and collected. They're below the scenes, like they're below the water getting everything done, their little feet are just going. I just think the MA, I th so many of the med spas I work with, they don't have one. They don't see the benefit in it. I'm like, it's not, think of, don't think about charting. Forget charting. It's everything else they can do to make you be able to shine and do what you do because they're doing all the, the busy work in the room. Like, it's just such a good investment. Even, you know, you guys don't have a ton of injectors. I mean, I think you're, you know, relatively small. And you're still invested in that. It's still such a good choice for you. So how do you decide things like that as a business owner? Where to put your money? What makes sense for you? How do you look at your business plan to say, should I buy the device, not buy the device? Because I think looking at your pennies in your wallet and deciding where to split your money and where to share your, you know, your funds across vendors, products, infrastructure, whatever, is a hard thing to learn and to really feel good about your decision. So how do you, how do you make those tough choices? Or your daughter, because she's doing the admin work. How does she make the tough choices? Mm -hmm. Well, and we have a team. I have a great accountant. You know, I, I rely on my accountant, number one. She tells me when I can buy and when I can't. She'll tell me, you know, financially wise. Um, I have an APC that I work with really closely. And, you know, when this injector hits this level, bring in the MA. So as as you grow and you build, you've got a strategic plan. Um I actually 
talked my doctor at my previous dermatology practice into letting me try to get an MA with me because I saw that all the derms, all the doctors had two and three MAs and they would get those patients in and out of the rooms. And so I kind of, that kind of was my motivation. Well, let me see how much I can in, increase the revenue by having an MA and spending more time with the patients. And it paid off within a month. So um, they are definitely worth the investment for sure. And, and our patients love the MAs because they're the first face they see when they come in. So, you know, they prep them and get them all ready. And yeah. I've, I've, yeah, they're priceless. They really are. Well, and as far as your practice goes for growth, because I think you are in such a unique, cool area and you do have such a, um, a special model. I think what you're doing, whether it's your injection skill or just where you are and just, you know, how you touch patients, how do you scale that? Or do you have any desire to scale that? Or you just want to keep building what you already have in Kansas City? Because we could use one of these in Dallas. I mean, come come hang out with us here in Dallas or go, you know, New York, wherever it is. What's your next step with that? Because I think the, the decision to make one become two is so, it seems so easy. But my God, it's so hard when you start to go from one to two is like one to a million. What is your, what's your next step? I mean, and that's what I thought too, after we, you know, when we started, we pretty much outgrew our space, but when there was more room and we expanded and how do we grow it from here? That that's, you know, the next best question. How do we scale it? Um, you know, expand in our city. Um, you know, you have all these big dreams and you go, yeah, I'll open one here and I'll open one there and we'll go to Dallas and New York. But how do you keep that secret sauce? How do you keep that special? And a lot of it is finding the right people and taking very good care of them and giving them great benefits and paying them well and appreciating them. So I think that's my, you know, secret is we have a unique hiring process. Um, you interview at least three or four times. And then I, I do screen them through Titan Aesthetic Recruiting, my injectors. And so um, I tell them when they're, you know, interviewing, this is very unique. This will be a four to five step interview process. And everybody's got to like them, period. Everybody has to agree. Well, shout out to Mary Beth Hagen because her screening process is awesome. When she first started working through that, we met, I don't know, at a meeting one day and went through the whole thing. And I was like, that is just so, it's science, it's also art, it's a combination of both things. It's just really telling. And because people want to get in the industry so bad, like, you know, so badly right now, they would just say, how do I break into it? How do I get into a clinic? And they, they take all these trainings, they, they try to be everywhere to get, you know, to get a foot in the door with you they're willing to do all the steps, right? They're willing to do whatever it takes to get in with you. And so they'll take the extra trainings. They'll do the extra, you know, inventory things, you know, all the assessments and things. They're willing to do it. So I think people are always concerned about how much, how much is too much for a new hire. We think about that here. How many interviews is too many interviews? If people want a job, they'll do the extra thing. Like we make them come here and do a project with us, like an on-site sort of shadow day and have to actually deliver something to us in, in front of our group. Because if they want the job, they'll do it. And if they won't do it, that tells me right there that they're not willing to invest what it takes to be great. Like the greatness is not in their purview because they won't invest the extra hour or two to do the thing. And so I just feel like what you're doing with that is incredible. And people just won't do it. Like they just won't do it. So, you know, if you look at before you did the inventory or the assessment before that came in, 
is your hiring better now, better quality people that you're getting? Like how much different do you think it is than if you didn't do these extra steps? Oh, it's so much better. So much better. Yeah, because those extra steps really pay off. You know, you can interview really good with me for 15, 30 minutes, and I can turn you over to somebody else. And, you know, they see something totally different. And that that's been really beneficial too. So, and I say, you know, we have created this culture here and it only takes one person to disrupt it. And so um, everybody knows how important it is. Yeah, I'm a big leadership guru. I love like all the books and things. And, you know, I listened to Radical Candor last night and they're talking about just the the benefits of honesty and like giving direct feedback and, you know, care personally, but communicate directly and all these different things that I have a PhD in leadership, right? It's like you being an aesthetic nurse, you know, this like the back of your hand. I know this part like the back of my hand. I think about me learning your skill, you learning my skill is a lot to transfer. It's there's a lot to it. But, you know, even with us here at AR, you know, excellence is a product of whatever you're willing to tolerate. Whoever your lowest common denominator is, is as excellent as you will ever be. And so if you allow greatness to stay, you'll be great. And if you allow, you know, cancer to stay, you'll become cancer. Like there's just a part of it where you have to make some tough choices. And even my employees here, like, I don't want to fire them. I'm so sad. You know, I can, I can help get them. Like you can't, you've done all you can do. You have done all you can do. It's time to cut bait and move on because every day that they stay, we're all suffering. The culture is suffering. The patients, in your case, the patients are suffering. Everyone's suffering. You just got to say, we're done. You know, we say here, hire slow, fire fast. And I think in a med spa, it's even more important, especially because of safety and just the things that, you know, you guys are at risk every day in your businesses that you got to be even more sure about who you're hiring. So I don't know. I just, it's, it's a risky place to be and turnover right now is really high. So kudos to you for getting the, the magic formula figured out. So what I have done with my nurses here um, is I created my own little like training program here. So it's called a mentorship, which is similar to an internship. And I actually have spoken on this at AMSPA and um, ISPAN. So basically it's just like an intern. They go in and they follow you. They shadow you. They watch you. Then you start explaining things to them. And, you know, it's a process. It's 90 days of just, and as an intern, um, there is in Missouri, of course, we have non-compete. So we do require a non-compete because you're going to come in and, and learn all my, my, you know, secrets. Um, but also in that sense, if they come in and they're, say they're working maybe at the hospital a couple of shifts a week, we ask them to come in at least X amount of hours. So they have to do the amount of hours of observation of hands-on, and then we'll move them into um, just neuromodulator training. And after they've mastered that in three months or four months, then we go into the dermal fillers. So it's a gradual process because there's so much in aesthetics now, like we have the lasers, we have cool sculpting, we have diamond glow, skincare. So it's a lot for a new professional coming into this field, like from the hospital or from the NICU or children's hospital. And I do think that my nurses that have come from like the NICU and, and two of them have, have a soft touch. They're very tender. They worked with babies. Um, those nurses always have a great hand and a great skill with, with the needles. So, but yeah, this mentorship program, and then I keep mentoring them 
My first one was Courtney. She's been with me almost the four years now. Um, I had her on podium speaking. She's helping me train courses now. She became a trainer with Aesthetic Advancements. Um, I'm so proud of her because I've helped her and watched her career grow, but also here, you can be the next trainer. You can be, you know, I can, I can sponsor you and help open doors for you. And so then the next one comes along and, and now she's got another role model so that she can see what her career could be. Cause this is a field that you can career out in. And so and even at my age, I don't plan to retire yet. So, um, but yeah, that's been a real unique um, program that, that I have personally developed. And I think it pays off quite well. I love that you just mentioned the career aspect because I think we forget about that. I mean, there are so many things you could be doing here. And I have a few injectors, owners of businesses who are like, I don't want my people to train for anybody. Like they got to be in here and injecting all day long. Like, But at some point, if you make a widget all day long, every day, forever, it loses its luster, right? It's no longer exciting for you. It's no longer sexy and fun. And I think although this job is super cool and the industry is amazing, if I did the same Botox injection every day for 20 years, I would hate Botox. Like we all would, right? That's just logical. But what you're saying is so true. They can become a trainer. They can mentor others. They can be on podiums. They can be part of ISPAN, be on the board. They can, you know, be leading a clinical directorship if you have multiple clinics or, you know, run your new hire onboarding program. Like there's just so, so many things that you can do to task load the job and make it seem like you like they're growing and, and developing, pay them more, get them more responsibility. And it's not always just the same, you know, the same shit different day as we say. It allows them to grow. And I think that we often forget about that here, that the healthcare provider model, this is not the hospital. We can do so many other cool things, but you have to be willing to like let them branch out and do it. And I think that's oftentimes a very scary place for someone to be who's running a business to say, I'm in a scarcity model. I can't let them do that. They've got to be here with me making money. I've got to have the, the bills paid. And it's like, if you would just open up a little bit, they'd be so much more productive and happy and satisfied and do more for you because they could live out their dream as well. So I recognize that. I see you. I recognize that, that you're doing a great thing for your employees. That's awesome. Well, and, and also the education part, because I knew what it did for me. It, it's so um, rewarding when you teach somebody and they learn a skill and it's that aha moment. It, it just like fills your bucket in a different way. And so that to me was fun and it keeps the fire burning of continually learning. It keeps that burning desire to educate and be open-minded to say, oh gosh, I love the technique you're doing. I'm going to, you know, adapt that into my practice. So I'm still learning even after all these years. And, um, but it also empowers them. And I want my, my nurses to be better than me. I want to watch them grow and succeed. I even teach here in Kansas City and people are like, well, why do you teach in Kansas City? They could be your competition. And I said, well, I do it for the good of our industry, right? I want them to have good outcomes. I want them to be successful. It just makes the whole aesthetic medicine field, you know, grow. And so, um, and I, and I have a couple in town that, still come to courses or if we have a new launch or a new product and they say they request coming to me to to get trained and I tell them how proud I am of them because they're doing great and doing successful in their business too and so that's been a joy for me as well seeing you know over the last 10-15 years other injectors that I've trained also become successful. 
Well, we're here in Dallas with Rod Rourke, who I'm sure everyone knows, a surgeon. And it's like, one day he said to me, he's like, are they your competition or your complication? He's like, if I don't train them, because it was about him teaching nurses, like, if I don't train them, I will see their complications. And it wastes my time in the OR that I could be doing something different, but the patient has an emergent issue, you know, an adverse event that needs to be fixed right now. And so if I will go train them, I can prevent all that from happening. And boy, isn't life easier. He's like, so my duty to everyone involved, patient, practitioner, everyone, myself, is to go train the nurses. I was like, you know what, that's what it is. Is it competition or complication? Because you're already seeing complications, obviously, in your market. What if you could eliminate that? How much better you could do you know, other things and think about other things if you weren't looking at complications all day? So there is a part of it that, yeah. And I think one drop brow, I said it's a lot, one drop brow in the community is everyone's drop brow. If one injector is bad, the whole community gets marred and gets scarred. And it's almost like you owe it to each other to protect what you've built in your community and to like help each other to grow so that you are good and people want to keep coming back in and the fence sitters decide to walk into your practice and get treated. But I digress. But I have one thought about what you said about your injectors sort of matriculating through the process. I often wonder if there's a place in our industry where you become a specialist in something. You have toxin, filler, threads, all these things happening right now. You have a laser specialist, right? You have a CLT who does laser all day long. Will we ever get there in your mind where you say a person is just going to be the filler, you know, the, the filler correction expert, but we're going to have a different person for biostimulators, a different person for threads? Like, when do we hit that threshold that we start to specialize in some subset of aesthetic medicine? I think it's already starting to happen. I really do. I think it's starting to happen, especially when threads entered the field, because threads is a specialty in itself. And... um I, I've learned from the best. I've I've been with Karimi. I've been with Francine. I've been with Sean. I've been at, with all of them. And I'll be honest, um, I will send them every day to my other nurse because <laughs> she's better. She's just better. And so I think we're already seeing some of that division. Um, some of my patients go, well, I want to bring my daughter in. My daughter wants lip fillers. All of her friends have it. And I'm, I'm like, well, then she needs to go to her. She's the lip queen. And so I think we're finding that already in our own practice. But, um, you know, even with plastic surgeons, when patients ask me for referrals here in Kansas City, because I know them all, um, this one for that, this one for that. And so I think we're already starting to see that. I have two estheticians that are laser gurus. I mean, these girls are phenomenal. 18 years experience, 15 years. And so People in Kansas City know that this is where they're going for a halo or whatever. So I think we're already getting kind of those subspecialties that the more techniques and the more products and the more services that we have. And even biostimulators, like you mentioned, they have resurfaced. I mean, I remember when they came out in 2006, right? Um, and so that there's this generation that doesn't want filler. So Great. They've got biostimulators, they've got threads, they've got PRP now. Um, so there's there's always going to be a specialty of something. And I think we're kind of seeing it already. Yeah, I'm interested to see what that looks like in like the next three to five years. But as we wrap up, by the way, I didn't mention it at all in this podcast, you were a Kansas City Chiefs cheerleader. I love your Instagram when you have all your KC Chiefs stuff on there. We were just talking about how sad the game was over Christmas. But I mean, you've you've been at this, you know, this famedom, this stardom for a long time because you were a cheerleader for the Chiefs and then now this. So you've had an illustrious career, my friend. You've had all kinds of fun things happen. 
Well, I like to say that, you know, I cheered for the Chiefs back in the 70s. Um, they were just post, you know, 69, the Super Bowl champs. Um, that was a big deal when I came on in the 70s. Uh, we didn't have a lot of good years, but I had a lot of fun. I met some great, great women who are still my friends and patients today. And um, we are part of an alumni association. And so my biggest my biggest joy last year was we had our 60-year cheerleading reunion and the cheerleading coach put 300 of us former cheerleaders out at halftime and we performed at halftime which the oldest cheerleader was from the 1969 um, Super Bowl team whereas I cheered in the 70s then we had them all the way up to current and so that was super fun and and I've always loved my team so I I have a you know I'm proud of that moment and what a what a fun time that was yeah, it's such, a, it's such a cool thing to have done. I just feel like life is such a collection of experiences and what a really cool one. And also winning some Super Bowls recently and just, you know, it's been such a great run for the Chiefs lately. But anyway, not the point of the podcast. It's one of the fun things I love about you is looking at your Instagram and you've been doing Chiefs things. But as we end here, I am curious, looking at your crystal ball the next five years, what's coming down the pipeline? What are you excited about? And what maybe even terrifies you if, if you want to share that too. But where do we go from here in aesthetics? You know, where do we go from here is, is I, I like to say we, we have to continue to raise the bar. We have to continue to keep the professionalism. Otherwise, it's going to all be taken away from us. And we w- would not want to see that happen. And I think that, you know, just kind of continue to sift through the educational process and coming up with regulation, I think will only benefit all of us in aesthetic medicine, because let's face it, it is medicine. And so I think, you know, going forward in the next five years, we're going to have a lot more fillers hit the market. We're going to have a lot more neuromodulators hit the market. And so it's going to make it even more segregated as far as who's doing what, Um, but most all my patients know that in our clinic, we carry the best products because they are the safest and the longest lasting. And you're, we're going to have a new group of products coming in that aren't going to have as quite have those standards. And so we're going to have to be careful what we pick and choose to represent, you know, our business and for our patient safety, because that's number one. Patient safety will always be number one. It doesn't matter what we're doing, you know, injectables, lasers, cool sculpting, whatever. It's got to be patient safety first. So. Yeah, that's a tough nut to crack. I think about Revanesse and Burst. That's a great product. But how do you how do you break in when you've got MERS, Allergan, and Galderma who've had the stronghold for so long? And I think to your point, as we keep adding on more products, the vendor will have less and less power. I don't mean that in a bad, but, but less and less influence because there'll be more of them. But also at some point, we dilute the market, right? We dilute it with the, we commoditize the products and we make them no longer important to the overall thing. And I think they're too important right now. I mean, I think we could all agree that people are buying a syringe instead of buying your skill set. But at some point, we're going to swing the pendulum the other way and it's going to be a much different idea of like what product who cares no one cares and i think that's also a scary place to be too so i think you're nail on the head uh we've got to do better with regulation and with just we need ice band to go nationwide georgia you lead the charge and all your free time 
I really, the, just the fact that we got the CANS board certified was huge. The fact that in many states, NPs can now function independently without a, a medical doctor because they, you know, like mine NP has her doctorate. She's a doctorate of nursing. Um, the, those types of things are changing in ISPAN already. It's just that it takes long. I promote ISPAN even to nurses that don't have a core background because you're still going to come to one of the, the best conferences for education, for CMEs. You're going to collaborate with professionals who are there to learn, not what outfit you have on, what purse you're carrying, you know, that type of thing. And I think we're going to find that that is going to be more important as we continue to grow um, and develop this business. Yeah, and I and I gotta give a I gotta give a little note there that although the aesthetic next we care about your purse, we also have ninety seven CMEs. So we the hate that came to us because of like the red carpet, like, yeah, but we did almost a hundred CMEs. Like we have a ton of medical content. But I think you mentioned Extenders is a great meeting. So Christian Lennox's meeting is amazing in August every year. ISPAN is in October, I believe, each year. I don't know where it's gonna be in twenty twenty four. Do you guys know that yet, the location? In 2024, we just voted on it. Um, it's going to be in um, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. A great place to have some summer in the middle of, of the fall. So I think that's a great meeting as well. Obviously, Static Next, we'd love to have you come to that. But there's some really great meetings with a lot of education, a lot of medical content that if you're concerned about who am I learning from and who, you know, who am I going to see and pay money for, Find your folks that are on podiums in those big meetings that are doing a lot of education, who are respected with you know within their industry by other peers and colleagues, and go train with those people. Go train with the Georges of the world, and be cautious of what you buy online. You know, if you don't if you don't know them, don't don't spend the money to go shadow. Is what is my my opinion. But um, and you know, one other conference that you know our friend Mary Beth Hagen oh, yeah. started last year is called Legacy Learners and Legacies. And when she pitched this idea to me, I'm like, Mary Beth, that is so needed because it's so overwhelming for a new injector to go to a big conference. And I take my injectors to these conferences. And for several reasons, I want them to meet other people that are in the same position or the same learning level that they're at, that they can collaborate with and gain their own group of peers, but also because it's a small conference. And so... In 2024, it's now going to be two conferences, one in South Carolina and one in um, San Diego. And so now the feedback from that conference was everybody loved the small setting. So at the end of the conference, 20 of us that are on the um, faculty for the educators, they got to sit down and round table with us. Ask us, what was it like? What was your experience? If you were me, what would you change? And just having that one-on-one -on -one time with them. And um, it, it was just priceless, priceless. And most of us there, you know, they were the OG, so we're not the Insta-famous, but um, several of them are. They've done a great job with their Instagram, but they valued that more than anything having a small setting with one-on-ones with all of us. And so, um, yeah, this year I'll be teaching for Mary Beth again at that. Yeah, I heard great feedback. My friend Jared Warwin, he said it was an awesome conference. So I heard fantastic feedback from that. So guys, if you're not sure where to go, there's a list of four right there that you should definitely sign up for. 
But Georgia, thank you for coming on today. I know we're right fresh off of our holiday break and you were able to make some time for us. But I think Well, we, thank you. I just think you've, you come from plastics and derm and into Medsfall and ice. You just had such a really cool background with a lot of things going right, you know, going in the right direction. And, uh, you know, the future is, I think it's only up from here. So we'll look forward to seeing your second, third or 18th location in a couple, you know, in a couple of years and just see where you grow and what happens next. So hopefully we'll see you out training as well. And Absolutely. Well, I will see all the rest of you guys next week for our final few episodes of season four of For the Record. For the record, you'll be ending your year too. Yeah, well, it's been a long season, so we're kind of we're kind of ready to be done with season four. It's been a great season, but it's been a long season, so we're on to take a, a, a reset very soon. But with all that, guys, we will sign off. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.